Welcome to episode seven of Just Admit It. I'm Victoria, former assistant director of admissions at the University of Chicago and Sarah Lawrence College. And I'm joined today with my Ivy Wise friend and colleague, Matt, a former senior assistant director of admissions at NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi. Today, we're going to discuss when students really need to start planning for college. So Nat, I always like to talk with my younger students about how this process um, can start early and it's not necessarily just about getting into college, right? It's also about preparing to be a good student in college. And I think that a lot of people have the wrong idea about working with college counselors, either at your school or independently, that you have to dive right into just getting into college and thinking about your list. Um, What do you think about that? Um, I'm in such agreement, Victoria. I think that we can we can talk for days on this subject. It's something that I feel very strongly about. Um, you know, I, I, I liken to it. I liken it to a um, an analogy about running one mile around the track. Um, and anyone that is, you know, running or track centric, or even if you're not familiar with running, running a mile around a track is typically on a standard track. It would be four laps. And the way that the American secondary school system works, even at the most elite independent schools in our country, um, you typically don't start with your college counselor until second semester of junior year. Um, And that to me is a broken system. So if we were to think about it as an analogy of running around a track for four laps, that's like, okay, you start and then you, you do your first two laps completely on your own. And <laughs> the second half of your third lap is when you meet your, your coach or your, your college advisor, your college counselor, and you basically have a lap and a half left. But your first and second lap, you know, what, what we're going to talk about, they matter. They, and sometimes they matter more. Um, and so I feel very strongly about you know, starting early. And I think that you articulated it perfectly in that it's not about getting in. It's not about stressing out earlier. It's about preparing to thrive once you do get to college. Yes. And and so many of our students, I think you agree that we see who haven't spoken to anyone about the process, don't always realize that your grades, um, the the work you've been doing this summers or outside of school, beginning in ninth grade, are all being considered and looked at by these colleges. When they're evaluating you, they really do start with ninth grade. And I've had some students come to me and have this idea that somehow colleges aren't looking at ninth grade grades. And I have to correct them. And at that point, they may have some Bs or some Cs, which are going to hold them back in some of the very selective pools out there um, because they just weren't aware of of how far back colleges are looking. And and colleges are really starting to look at everything you've done from the beginning of high school. And that as a whole narrative uh, over the course of your four years of of who you are and who you're likely to be on their their college campus. So, I mean, what do you talk about first with with your ninth graders when you start a conversation with a a student who's just transitioning to high school? Obviously, it's a very difficult time. Um, what what are some of the first things you talk to them about? Uh, it's such a good question. So, and and I should mention that we both come uh, from the independent school world. We both, you know, served uh, as college counselors at the in the independent school world, and so we have a lot of experience working and. 
um, not only with ninth through 12th graders, but kind of the programming and the types of questions that come up. And so I think with the ninth grader, I always want to, you know, it's essentially reiterating what you already said is just making sure that they understand that ninth grade is so important. And while it's probably the biggest transition that they'll have academically, it probably also is going to be their easiest year academically, right? And there's a lot of things that they can do before ninth grade, and that's a whole different other podcast. But (laughs) I want to make sure that ninth graders understand the importance of their grades and how they can boost their GPA by doing well and, and by transitioning well, you know, in that first year of high school. Yeah, I think one thing that a lot of students don't consider also is is not only just doing well in your classes, but um, thinking about the the classes you take. For some students, this can really track you, what you choose in the ninth grade. And I've had students um, make decisions about things on a whim and then get stuck in sort of a track for either sciences mm. or math. That's um, a good point. And I think... It's important to remember that, yes, like a lot of what you take in your freshman year is going to be prescribed classes that you don't really have a lot of choice. Um, But sometimes you do get the choice um, for a math class, for instance, um, if you can take geometry or if you're ready to take a higher level course or an honors course. And what you always want to figure out is what does that track lead to? Right. Like if you're in an honors level course in in freshman year, is that the only way to get to a course that you want later down the road? And those are things you do want to think about. And like you said, this is probably the one of the easier years of high school, even though it is a big transition from eighth grade and may seem harder. So you may want to take that extra little um, rigor on and see how well you do to see if it will lead you down the track to those other classes that you want to take. And additionally, I'd say electives are something to think about if you have them in ninth grade. I've had students who took a foreign language all the way through in middle school, right? So they already came in and could have taken Spanish three in ninth grade. But instead, they said, I'm going to start a new language. Um, And then when they started the language, they didn't like it. And then going back to that Spanish the next year was not very easy. Yeah, I've seen that happen, too. Yeah, if you're someone who loves languages, I mean... Go ahead, but no, <laughs> it's I, hard. I love that point too, and I w- I want to also touch upon that math um, component because that is one of the biggest levers that I talk to my ninth graders about. Um, and again, this is really important in terms of why why I love it. The earlier I can start with my students, and you know, in the the school setting that I just left, I was able to start with our ninth graders, and that was a huge, huge advantage. It made the college counseling portion of my job much later, much much easier because the ninth grade alignment in terms of the class and and the curriculum that the student was taking and what their aspirations were for college, there was, there was actually aspirational alignment, right? And so you, you mentioned it. I, I often like to look at, okay, what is the, what's the peak math class or peak science class that your school offers, right? And of course, this is all if it's applicable, if you are a math or a science student, and then figuring out going backwards, okay, like if it's AP Calculus BC, well, you need to be in, you know, Algebra 2 as a first year student, as a ninth grader. Um, and if you're not, I'd rather work with that student to try to bridge that gap between eighth and ninth grade. Maybe they take Algebra 1 
during the summer before ninth grade because that's much easier to do than trying to take pre-calculus in the summer after ninth or tenth yeah. grade. And so you, yeah, you hit you hit the nail on the head. And a lot of times, and and what we're not really saying transparently is like there's a rubric, and in the rubric you have to be in the most challenging classes, you know, in order to get the most number of points. And there's a way that you know the only way to do that in most cases is to really think back to what your ninth grade classes are. So great point, Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we have a whole podcast actually on um, how you're evaluated over the years. So I would go back and listen to that, too, because you have a very good point that this rubric, this idea of what they're grading you on really has a lot to do with have you taken advantage of the most rigorous courses at your school and and done well. Right. So it's a it's right. a curious balance there that you want to um you want to make sure you're taking these harder classes, but that you're also uh, doing as well as you can, which in most cases looks like A's, but it also looks like growth, right? So yeah. that's another thing I think you and I both talk about with our ninth graders is starting out strong with not just good grades and, and harder classes, but but strong study skills, right? So that those grades become a little bit easier to achieve and so that you're not just getting A's to get A's, but you're really digging into how to become a better learner, right? That's right. Um, and then another thing that we often talk about, I know that you and I both talk about is getting our ninth graders used to the notion of collaborating, collaborating, talking with their instructors, with their teachers. This is, it's an important skill. Um, and it's not, it's not something that everyone knows how to do naturally. It's a skill to develop. Um, and so I used to, at my school setting, I used to have my ninth graders email a teacher that was very intimidating and a teacher that they <laughs> had an easy time, um, you know, working and talking with just to get used to, you know, not only email etiquette, but getting used to the, you know, the notion of working alongside your instructors to, you know, to increase learning outcomes. And that that's such an important skill to have even, you know, beyond college, right? The, the ability to be mentored and to have a mentor and to be in a mentoring relationship that can start as early as ninth grade. And so I know that you and I have talked offline about the importance of doing that and trying to instill that in our ninth graders. Right. Yeah. And it is a hard skill to develop. I, I mean, when you're in high school and, and you have that teacher who's, who's really, you know, hard, makes you a great student, but often isn't easy to approach getting good at those types of things is only going to make it easier the next time you have to go talk to a teacher. Uh, and it's also, I think, going to set up a really good situation where you're becoming aware of the things that are holding you back in each class, right? So you're not just um, getting used to talking to adults, but you're also sorting out, okay, why did I do poorly on this test, quiz, paper? Is it a result of needing to study more? Is it a result of not understanding concepts? And I also encourage my students to approach it from that angle too, right? Because we know that teachers do not like the question, how do I get an A? Right. They would much rather hear, hey, I thought I understood this concept in um, you know, English. We were talking about metaphors and I thought I really grasped it. But then I wrote this paper and and I didn't really do very well. So can we talk about what I could do better. Right. And I think that really helps you start to reflect as a student, how can I improve my performance, not just in this class, but in general, right? And carry that through the whole four years. Yeah, you, you nailed it. It's not about 
the whole notion of just talking to your teachers because I think, especially at an independent school, a lot of ninth graders will kind of defer to coming across as very grade oriented, as very extrinsically yeah. oriented or uh, extrinsically motivated. And so, you know, the gut reaction is like, how can I, how can I do better? How, you know, how, how can I get an A in your class? And it should be like, how can I increase my learning outcomes? Just, you know, just as you eloquently stated. So it, it's not as easy as just, hey, talk to your teachers more. It, it is a skill <laughs> that, that can be developed and should be developed early early in your high school career. And so um, that's, that's very important. What about Victoria? What about kind of starting to explore um, some interest? Do you think that should start in ninth grade? Yeah, I think um, students a lot of the times will say to me, I don't know what I want to do in the future, which is totally fine, right? I don't think either of us expect that students who are 13, 14 years old really should know what they're necessarily going to do in the future. I mean, there are going to be some students who have some pretty set interests. And um, I think that's actually the minority. And I try to tell students, don't be um, afraid to explore beginning in ninth grade, right? Like, I think this is the year where colleges are looking at what you're doing and starting to do. And as long as you're starting to explore things, I think that's what's important in ninth grade. Take the interests that you have and explore them through joining clubs, um, maybe a variety of clubs, not so many clubs that you're no longer um, really diving deep into any one thing. But, you know, explore a bunch of different interests. And then yeah. that summer after ninth grade, I think it's pretty low risk as far as what you want to do that summer. If you're doing something to explore your interests, whether that's academic interests, right? Like taking some kind of online course through a college or university or trying to um, do a summer program. There aren't a ton that are available to ninth grade students, but there are some. Um, or just, you know, doing an independent project or doing some kind of camp for something you're interested in. I think all of those are great ways. The idea is to basically not just sit around in your spare time in freshman year or over the summer, uh, not exploring anything. Yeah. You know, the, the advice that I like to give all of my ninth graders is, you know, is actually what the president of my college, you know, my first admissions job when I was sitting in and at convocation. And this is what he said to the incoming first year class was he said, what would you try to do on campus if you knew that you could not fail? Um, and I, I, I Great try to instill that into all my ninth graders and the ones that take that really into account and really not only hear it, but listen to it and, and act on it. They have incredible ninth grade years that just kind of launch them into really um, amazing high school careers as well. So um, what about you know, transitioning to 10th grade, what do you, what do you like to talk to your 10th graders about? Yeah, I think, so 10th grade, we start getting into a little bit more choices as far as your curriculum, right? Um, sometimes this is when the electives will open up to you. Sometimes it's when AP tests will op or AP classes will open up to you if you have those classes at your high school. And uh, sometimes it's where you can start to get leadership roles in certain clubs or activities. Usually comes a little later, but it's possible. And um, I think, so what I talk to students about is now we're starting to hone the interest, right? If ninth grade is, is the time 
when we're exploring almost anything, like you said, take a chance on something like you can't fail. 10th grade is where we're starting to like hone in on the things that we've enjoyed the most from what we've explored in ninth grade. And then also hopefully um, beginning to dive deeper into those areas so that you're really making an impact in your community or you're becoming a leader or you're exploring them in in new ways, right? Um, And that can look like a lot of different things. I mean, that's sort of uh, general advice, but I would say like, let's take theater as an example. Um, I always like to do this because theater is pretty accessible to a lot of students and at their school, right? And so maybe you're in theater and maybe your freshman year you discovered, I love, I like being in plays, but I'm not a great actor. So 10th grade, I'm going to start exploring all of these backstage things. And I'm going to really dive into the design and I'm going to become a leader on set as a production manager or assistant, right? And really start to jump into a different segment of the the theater club than I would have um, based on my ninth grade experience. Or maybe I'm really, really interested in... um, I discovered history, right, in my freshman year. So I'm going to push myself to take an AP class that's available for for 10th grade students, um, maybe AP U.S. history versus just the honors class, right? So these are some things that you can start to think about and and start diving deeper into your interests. Yeah, and I, you know, that's such a great point. And it's really kind of making me think about other other areas, um, you know, not just extracurricularly, but um, which is very, very important, you know, in in creating your narrative and also in, in completing each student as a as a whole person. But we also know in the tenth grade, and I know we have alignment on this. There's there's a lot of levers that um, that should be and need to be kind of pulled uh, in terms of preparing academically and also preparing for standardized tests, right? So, um, one of the things that I like to see both my ninth and 10th graders get a lot of practice doing, um, is reflective writing. You know, and we haven't talked about this as much, but, you know, I find that some of my top students, you know, when they get to 11th grade and, and when we get to that, when we start talking about that, you know, and they're asked to kind of be reflective in their personal statement, some of my top students have a hard time with that. Um, and I think that comes with practice and a lot of the writing that you do for school, you know, depending on the curriculum that you're in is not kind of that reflective writing. It's, you know, writing to a prompt, it's writing, you know, it's a certain type of essay, right? There's like the five, five standard types of essays. So, you know, developing reflective writing or the ability to be reflective is something that I tried to do with, with both my ninth and 10th graders. But so that, that's, that's a skill that I, I want students to kind of develop early on, but let's talk a little bit about testing. I know we have alignment on this. Do you want to, do you want to talk about what, you know, how we both feel that, you know, testing should be, well, you go ahead and, and try. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think a lot of, um, students, the, the general advice I'll give is you should finish your standardized testing by the end of junior year, but that doesn't mean you start test prep in junior year, right? In order to do that, and in order to have enough sittings to have the test score that you may like, your goal score, um, some students will need to prep a lot for testing. And that's either that's with a tutor or even by themselves. And it also requires understanding which tests you should 
want to take, right? So um, there's the SAT and there's the ACT. And I think uh, you did a whole podcast on testing, right? Matt, so yeah. people can go back and listen to that. But knowing that there's those two separate different tests, um, you ought to look at those tests and say, which one would I do better in? And in order to figure that out, you sort of need to take a diagnostic test. And I think we both agree that should be in the second semester of your sophomore year that you're starting to figure out. At latest. Which of those. Yeah, at latest. So you could do it earlier. Um, it's really aligned with a lot of what you're learning in math. So if you are in advanced math classes, you may be ready to test earlier than other people. And that's something to consider as well. But these are things that you could prep for, you know, like I said, online, you can do it through the testing services, through College Board or through the ACT. They have ways to prep and take practice tests online. You can also work with a tutor, right? Ivy Wise has tutors. You, you'll also find a lot of tutors in your area. But I have had students do a mix of both self-tutoring or tutoring with a tutor, and they are able to come up with which test is doing um which test is going to be easier for them to take um, that they might do a better score in. And colleges don't care whether you're going to submit an SAT or an ACT. They don't have a preference between the two. So you really should go for that one that you're going to do better on. And then there are other subjects um, that you should be paying attention to that would correlate with certain standardized testing that some colleges would want to see, like subject tests. The SAT has subject tests in certain academic areas. and those would be best taken right after a class that's corresponding to that, that subject. So for instance, if you took world history as a ninth grader, um, especially AP world history, you'd be very well prepped to take the SAT subject test in world history. And so typically you're not going to take subject tests until 10th or 11th grade, but in that case, we would say, yes, take it in May or June of, of your freshman year, right? So that you're taking that test right after you take uh, the class that, that would give you the information you need to be successful on that test. Um, not all schools want or need SAT subject tests, but uh, then for those that do ask for them, you would have an array of, of scores um, potentially to send in if you're taking those tests after the subject um, each right. year. I think the one that often gets mistaken is the Math 2 exam. It's a quite a popular exam. And the Math 2 exam, the, the content on that is actually, it's like more trigonometry and pre-calculus. Um, and so if you are in advanced math, like that, that could be at the end of sophomore year and not in junior year as like probably the mode time in the United States that kids take that, you know, when they're taking like AP Calculus AB. Um, and if you are an AP Calculus AB and you're taking Math 2, you know, there, that's, you know, the, the content on the subject test is, is stuff that you learned much, much prior to AP Calculus AB. So there is some alignment um, that is a little bit, you know, counterintuitive, um, right? Like, yeah. it, just like world history, I mean, the AP history um, class does have some overlap with uh, the history subject test. Uh, AP literature um, has some overlap with the literature subject test, but oftentimes, you know, in a lot of AP curriculums, they have AP language and composition as the junior year class and then AP literature as the senior year class. And so that's not, yeah. that doesn't align, but, but that's 
that's okay. Yeah. And, and again, you already said it, but it's, this is just if you are taking a subject test. We're not necessarily saying that everyone should take a subject test, especially now, you know, as at the time of recording, we're, we're in COVID and a subject test is the last thing you should be thinking about. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It should really be, you should be trying to get a sub, you should be trying to get an SAT or an ACT. Um, the only other thing that I want to add to what you already said so thoroughly was, you know, the best practices uh, for figuring out whether you want to take the ACT or SAT is to take a full length exam in both of those tests. Um, even though they've become more similar to one another, um, they still are different in the ways that they look at um at aptitude and achievement, because like, you know, the, the ACT, it's, um, it's much more based on questions per minute. And so, um, how quickly can you answer something where the SAT, you, yeah. you know, is like, there's still like tricks, you know, to, to some of the math questions mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So taking a full length exam in both is really the best way. And too often I see students kind of take this hybrid, you know, uh, to try to figure out which which exam is better. And that is taking out one of the components, which is questions per minute, which is a very, very, you know, that's an important determining factor in terms of which exam you're going to take. Yeah. And, and I think the end of sophomore year is ideally when you want to know exactly which test you want to, you, you're going to take. And then you can spend the summer uh, you know, before junior year, the summer after sophomore year, before junior year, starting to prep and really, really, you know, um, do a great job. So even though you said the mode, you know, the mode time for someone to be done is like the end of junior year, it doesn't mean that that's, that's when you're shooting for, right? Like I, yeah. I see a lot of my students kind of finish their testing, their standardized testing, you know, at the very beginning of their junior year, if not even before, because now with the the addition of late SAT, late summer SATs, and then kind of early fall ACTs, it, it can be done. And then that does make your junior year feel a lot less crowded in terms of what you have to do, right? So that's yeah. probably a, a nice transition to talk about the conversations that we have with our juniors. Do you want to yeah. share with us what you, what you like to talk about with your juniors? Yeah. So junior year is, is interesting. A lot of students, that's when you'll see um, college, uh, your college counselor at school will sometimes really start in earnest in, in your junior year. Um, and this is because there is a lot that's built up in the junior year. Testing is important. Um, there's a PSAT offered in the beginning of junior year that um, most students will take at school. And that can be used for national merit scholar commendation. And so it's a good test to be sort of on your best game for just because if you do score high, then it could lead to a potential scholarship. And also it's just a really good kind of, um, I think (laughs) it gives you a good idea of what you would get on the SAT, right? And then um, there's a lot of other things that you're starting to think about in 11th grade. You have even more electives in that course schedule, right? So you're going to be wanting to think about, okay, now I have taken a lot of the courses I need to take to graduate, but what are the other areas that I can challenge myself in, right? We always recommend five years of, or four years, sorry, of the five core academic subjects, right? And so you wanted to do that. But then in the elective slots, if you're someone who loves sciences, you're going to want to be taking your AP chemistry or maybe AP environmental science, right? These other classes. And in maybe you want to challenge yourself a little bit in 
computer science because you love that. So maybe your electives are AP computer science. You have a lot more choice in 11th grade. So you really do want to start to think about how can I be challenging myself, myself and then fitting in all of the requirements I need for graduation, having a well-rounded schedule and doing well in all of these different classes, right? And exploring areas of interest. Then yeah, we also... Know. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. So I think I want to build upon what you, you know, just stated then. It was so, so smart and right on the point. But I think that 11th grade, the conversations, and, and this is why I really love starting with my students earlier, because a lot of times if you're just meeting your college counselor in 11th grade, you haven't you haven't built up that trust relationship with them. If you've just met them, if you've just been introduced to them, it's hard for it's hard for me as a college counselor to say, hey, like you should do this, you should do that. <laughs> yeah. I just met you, right? Like I haven't built up, I haven't curated a trust relationship with you. And so, gosh, I'm I'm such a big fan of starting earlier and 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 really getting some guidance early. But one of the things that I I think is a really tough kind of decision to balance is you know, and, and you made me think of this, Victoria, is like taking what you should take to be competitive versus taking what you want to take. Right. Yes. So I want to give yeah. a, a, an example of this would be, you know, someone that wants to be in, you know, that wants to be pre-med. Right. Um, I've had juniors in the past that have wanted to take they, they wanted to take anatomy and physiology because that would have been a really helpful class for them. You know, when when they were, you know, if they were applying to medical school. Um, but if they took that, they weren't going to be able to take AP chemistry, you know, as, as you mentioned, right. And so a lot of times, and then they're difficult conversations because I think as much as juniors and, and even sophomores and seniors want to kind of explore and, and take all of these elective courses, you always have to ask, okay, like I, I need to balance what I want to take with what I, you know, what, with with what colleges want to see me take, right? And that's not something that I like saying, but there is a reality where you are judged by, um, you know, by the courses that you take, right? And and I often tell my students, and again, this is not something that I like to tell my students, like when you get to college, like you will have more time to explore. You can take both, you know, chemistry 200 level and anatomy and physiology, but <laughs> if you want to be ultimately competitive, you know, it, it's not just about taking what you think or what you want to take. It's really kind of balancing what colleges expect to see if you're if you're applying to, you know, the highly selective colleges. Have you uh, I'm sure. Have you had conversations uh, like that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I and that actually brings me back to something you said earlier, which I um, had wanted to to point out to people, which is this exact idea of what colleges expect you to take or what other people in the pool are taking. So what you would be competitive right. um, if you had is, is calculus. Um, when you were talking about this, it's reminding me of the many conversations I've had with students who uh, want to be business majors Yeah, and, and <laughs> um, yeah, and they want to take stats, right? Which makes so much sense. Um, if you're going to study economics, having a basis in statistics makes so much sense. And um, not a lot of business majors, right? Like if you think of your marketing and things like that, they're probably not going to be using calculus in, in college. But unfortunately, the, the situation with undergraduate business programs is that they're so selective that the applicants you have applying to these programs are taking AP calculus, BC, or multivariable calculus. And in order to compete, you need to be at the calculus level as, as well, right? 
And um, I think a lot of students and parents forget that and and don't plan ahead for it. And then when they get to senior year, it it does have an impact on their chances at these yeah. top selective business programs, which are smaller and therefore more competitive than some of their liberal arts uh, peers, right? Like some of the colleges uh, at the same university. And I think um, what you said too is also important. You need to think about how you're going to be compared to the rest of the pool of what of to which you're applying, right? So if you're applying pre-med, that's one thing. If you're applying engineering and you don't have the most rigorous math and science classes from your institution, that is really going to hold you back. And so I tell students, okay, from ninth grade, are we thinking engineering or business at all? If we are, then we're looking forward to that trajectory and trying to get to that calculus, no matter how we do it, right? Um, otherwise, you're really going to be holding yourself back. You have a lot more flexibility, I think, in in some of the humanities and social si- sciences. Um, but I would say across the board, and I don't I don't know how much you agree with this now. I would say, if possible, you take calculus. Yeah. No matter who you are, because Absolutely. it makes you more competitive. Yeah, and I've talked a lot about kind of how rubrics, you know, reading rubrics are very math and science centric. Um, even when they're reading, you know, especially at a small liberal arts school, even if they're reading a student that is a theater major or, you know, a foreign language major, humanities major, the rubric would still be very science and math centric, meaning you couldn't get the top score in the rubric unless you took the most rigorous yeah. math or science course at your high school. And the reason behind that is because there is more of a definite hierarchy, right? Like we can say, okay, calculus BC, if that's the top class that a school offers um, or calculus, that is, that's the most challenging course where it's, it's harder to say, okay, what is, what is more challenging? Is it AP European history or is it AP government? Is it uh, AP macroeconomics, right? That there's less of a, of a, of a concrete answer to what is the most challenging when you're, when you're in the humanities, where when yes. you're in STEM, like AP Physics C, yes, is is more challenging than AP Physics 1, right? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. What yeah, do you so, say to students who are like, I don't, you know, Matt, I don't, I don't like science and I don't like math. So, and I'm only going to major in psychology or English in college. So why do I have to take them senior year? My school only... Uh, needs me to take three years of science and three three years of math to graduate. Right. Yeah. I mean, that comes to, you know, the, the conversation. It's usually with the parents like, OK, it's it, there's one thing to kind of fulfill the, the graduation requirements, but then it's another thing to actually compete for a spot in admissions. Right. Yeah. And the two are not you know, the two are not the same. Um, and so oftentimes you're going well and beyond and, and you know, and, and seeing the most competitive students, like when we're talking about a student that wants to take statistics or AP statistics, yeah, take it alongside of AP calculus BC, yeah. your senior year or your junior year, which you see quite a bit of, right. And even now you're seeing kids that are accelerating their math curriculum and, and then having to take math classes, you know, at, at the local community college or, or somewhere else. And that's not, that's not everyone. And I'm not, we're not saying that you need to do that, but you need to be thoughtful and you need to have an understanding of, of what the pool looks like. And that's ultimately what, you know, a lot of parents don't see, right. They, they just see like little Susie 
you know, as being, oh, she's amazing. And like, how could she not be competitive? And and they don't get to see the rest of the pool and how amazing right. that pool, you know, looks like. So, you know, one of the things um, that also is a, an important skill that, that I think manifests in 11th grade, but it, it's not, hopefully it is not the first time that you think of it. And it's something that we're developing in ninth and 10th grade. And this is something that I've worked with a lot you know, with my ninth and 10th graders. And, and it, it's actually at the core value. It's what we did in the ninth grade when we're trying to get more used to collaborating and working with your faculty members. But you want to be in a situation where you're developing really, you know, really strong relationships with your teachers, right? And uh, the more visible reason to do that is because two of your teachers will have to write a letter of recommendation for you. And they're usually your junior year teachers. Now that's the most visible reason to do it, but that's not, that's not the most important. That's far from the most important reason to do it. You know, the more important reason to do it is that, you know, behind every successful business woman or, you know, um, even entrepreneur or um, even like coder, there, there's a mentoring relationship that has happened along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is so, so important. And so, um, you know, we often talk, you know, Victoria and I, you and I, we often talk about like the difference between getting a good letter of recommendation, which frankly, everyone in the United States gets a good letter of recommendation (laughs) because, you know, teachers and schools are so worried about liability, but that there's a big difference between getting a good letter of recommendation and a helpful letter of recommendation. So can you talk more about that? Yeah, I don't know what you might have called it at your previous institutions where you worked, but at Chicago, I used to call it a standard positive letter. Mm-hmm. If it was a letter that um, was good, but there was nothing really effusive about it, right, or I didn't really get a sense of the student in the classroom. And, uh, you know, I think I talk about this in a different podcast about how they're evaluating you, but it really is important that colleges see how you are in the classroom, not how you did. They can see that on the transcript, right? So we need to see, are you someone who contributes to class discussions? Are you somebody who, you know, uh, goes in and talks to the teacher after class? Are you somebody who shows that you love learning? And a teacher would only know these things if you've gotten to know them, if you went and talked to them, if you said the things we suggested starting to talk about in ninth grade. And then what that results in is, yes, good letters of recommendation, but also it's beginning to show you how to be a better college student. Because another thing I talk about with students is college is so different from high school. You're going to go and your classes are not going to be based on a bunch of small assignments that will give you your grade. They're going to be based on reading materials, going to class, discussing materials, or reading your assignments and going to class and doing labs, taking one or two tests a a semester, uh, writing two or three papers a semester, and that's it. So it's on you to figure out what you don't know. And the best way you can do that is engaging with your professor and asking them, hey, I wrote this paper on, you know, uh, Plato, and we're discussing this philosophy. And I really thought I understood it, but I, it looks like I don't. So let's talk about what I don't understand from the text that I read. So it's not the type of thing where you can get through just taking some quizzes, getting some good scores and kind of hiding in the back of the classroom. Right. So when you push yourself in high school to do this, um, it will make you a better college student. And then the other thing I always say is having worked in independent schools, we both know this to be true. 
teachers talk. So yeah, if you start <laughs> in ninth grade, if you start talking to teachers and you start showing them, hey, I'm interested in more than just getting A's. I want to know how the American Revolution worked. I want to understand it. Right. I'm that type of student who needs to understand this quadratic equation and why it works, not just get the A. That's going to be information that's probably passed to your next teacher. They, they often, and yeah, especially right. in small schools, will talk about the upcoming class, especially if it's like honors or AP classes, and they're, they're saying, yes, this student's ready for it. And so having a good reputation as a student who really talks to, to teachers is going to follow you. Yeah, so that, you're right. I love that point because there are some kids that, that just do this naturally, right? And it's so awesome. Like as you know, as someone that has written, you know, so many letters of recommendation and it's yeah. an honor to write. Like these are the kids that like stand out in your career. Like they have this innate ability. But what we're saying is that this ability is actually something that can be taught. It's not just you either have it or you don't. A lot of times you just don't realize how important it is and how it needs right. to be cultivated, sometimes even before high school. And, you know, and that's what we're working on now, you know, um, yeah. offline. And so um, uh, those are such great points. Um, and I know that we're, you know, we're, there's so much more that we can talk about, but I definitely want to hear you um, talk about, you know, when is it? When should we start looking at colleges, right? Like when, when, when is it, is it ever too early to look at colleges? What, what, what are your views on this, Victoria? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's never too early to start looking at colleges, but it is too early to solidify your list and fall in love with one college, ride or die until you're senior, right? So you need to be open-minded. Definitely look at colleges. Um, First visits can be a great way to kind of um, low risk, just check out a college campus. What is it about? What does it feel like? Take notes, take lots of notes, even if it's only your first college and sign up for official tours and information sessions. Right now, that stuff, um, as you said, we're in the pandemic right now. A lot of the visits on campuses are not happening, but um, there are a lot of ways to investigate schools online. We're going to over the years here have webinars on such things, probably more podcasts talking about how to investigate colleges online. And we encourage you to listen to those and and figure out how you can start to look at colleges, even from a young age, um, as long as you keep an open mind and explore a variety of schools so that you don't just fall in love with only one or two reach schools. Right. Then I think it's never too early to look and start familiarizing yourself with the college process and how they're evaluating you and what's really out there, because there are a lot of different kinds of colleges, right? And there's not just like the top 10 that everybody's heard of. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, early on, like, you know, I often gave my students, my younger students, my ninth and 10th graders, like they told me where, where they were going to be on, you know, where they, where they were going to be for vacation. I could say like, Hey, like you're going to be in Miami, like check out university of Miami. Yeah. Um, or, you know, check out New College or Eckerd, you know, like you, there, there are things that you can do very, um, you know, like kind of passively, just like drive through a campus just to see what it's like. Um, and sometimes that first, that first kind of organizational, um, I guess, list would be like, do I want a large university, you know, a research university, or do I want a small you know, liberal arts college, right? And sometimes, you know, what I'm seeing more of are, you know, are students that 
would be happy at both types of institutions. And that's like really yeah. interesting because ultimately I think that it is a, it's a really wonderful attribute to be able to adapt to, you know, a bunch of different schools. So you, I love how you worded that. It's never too early to start looking at colleges, but it's, it is, there is an early, too early of a time to kind of solidify your list. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's so well said. Yeah, I think it's really important that students um, do explore. Um, and as you mentioned earlier in this this discussion, it's really important that you're reflective in this process. And I think choosing colleges is one of the biggest ways that you need to be reflective. Like you said, am I someone who wants a small liberal arts college where I'm going to have discussion-based classes? Right. Or do I want, you know, possibly a, a campus with over 20,000 undergraduates where a lot of my first year courses are probably going to be large lectures. Can I handle that? Is that okay for me? Do I need structure in my curriculum? What kind of community do I want? Who do I want to be surrounded by? Am I somebody who needs a work-life balance or do I want to dive into intellectual academia from day one? And uh, that's my idea of fun. All of these things are good things to consider Um, from an early on. like visit that you do that's just casual, like you mentioned. And then in the junior year is when we really start solidifying that list, I think. Uh, We really start doing more in-depth research and talking about the balance of the list and really trying to hone it so that we have a really nice um, uh, list that is balanced with likelies, targets, and reach schools, right? Yeah. And so it... It sounds like a lot to do, but it becomes a lot easier the earlier you start to think about this and the earlier you start to kind of act on this. And, you know, I, I think what you said when we when we started was like uh, oftentimes when you talk about kind of early college guidance, you know, a lot of people, you know, kind of they're uncomfortable with that. Oh, my God, like you're you're, you're raising the mm-hmm. stress level. And and that's I, I feel the opposite of that happening whenever you can kind of talk about this, you know, and I still think so many independent schools and, and public high schools, I, I, I feel like the system is broken, right? We've always done it a certain way and that's why we continue to do it. But that doesn't mean that it's the right way to do it. I feel like there's this, there's this thought belief that if you don't talk about things early that, you know, um, or if you do talk about things early, that you're going to raise the stress levels. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that independent schools and public high schools don't realize that even if you don't talk about it in the curriculum, right. Even if you, yeah. people, like, like <laughs> parents and students will talk about it and then you, you can't control the conversations. And that's when you start having students that come up with very unrealistic list or haven't done all of the things, you know, or show up in junior year, you know, with, you know, a math curriculum that is not asper- that is not in alignment with any of the schools that they are, you know, applying to. So um, yeah. starting early is, is really important. So uh, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that is a perfect last point. Start early and it will probably lead to less stress. And as long as you're approaching it from the right mind frame, right? Um, So I think that is all we have to say today on this topic. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Matt, for, for joining me on this conversation. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast, sign up for the Ivy Wise mailing list to receive our monthly college admissions newsletter, and bookmark our knowledge base to stay abreast of the latest higher ed news and advice.